And when we're talking about the move of God, what we're talking about are times and occasions where God shows up, where God does something powerful, he does something extraordinary, he does something life-changing or circumstance-altering, whatever it may be. Those things, that's what we're talking about when we say a move of God. And how many of you know that our God is still moving, he's still speaking, he's still acting, he's still on the job, amen? That's our God, right. And so, we're talking in this series about how do we position ourselves to see God move. Because some of us need to see God move. Sometimes in our lives we go through things that are just bigger than us and they're out of our control and we, we need a miracle or we need something to change or whatever. We need to see God move. And, the, and things go on in the world that are so crazy that, that only God is big enough to deal with that stuff. We need to see him move. And, and in our churches, like our churches all around have needs and we need strengthening and we need to see God move in our churches. And so how do we position ourselves to see it happen because you'll remember we said already we can't force God to move tell your neighbor turn to your neighbor and say we can't force God to move you can't make sure they know right and and, and we don't want to block the move of God either so how do we get into that space where uh, we're, we're biblically speaking uh, we can position ourselves to maybe see a move and one of the principles uh, that we haven't covered yet and we're talking about today is righteousness. Righteousness. If we want to position ourselves to see God move in our midst, we gotta get onto the program of righteousness. That's the bottom line today. So we good, ready to go for it? Half of you are, good. The rest of you will catch up, that's good. So first thing we wanna do, we wanna give some shape and some definition to this term righteousness. And on the screen, there's a couple of definitions here. Righteousness, to be righteous is to be morally right or justifiable. Other definition here is righteousness is acting in accord with divine or moral law. Now a couple of things just on, on this slide right here. Number one, when we're talking about righteousness and all this stuff, we need to see God all through this. We cannot approach righteousness from the angle of what do I think righteousness is? What do my feelings dictate that righteousness ought to be? What does the world or the culture say is right or righteous? That's not how we approach this because all of those things are subjective. Most of the time they're wrong. So we need to, we need to approach this from from God, what does God say about righteousness? What does what God uh, have in his mind about this? What does his word say about righteousness? That is where we need to go because ultimately God is the one who is morally right and justifiable. Ultimately God is the divine and moral lawgiver. So we approach it from his angle. Now, something else you notice here, just in the language on this slide, righteousness is both a state and an action. You can even see it right there. It's the state of being morally right or justifiable. It's just something that you are or can be. And it's also an action, a choice, an activity to act in accord with divine and moral law. And here's the bottom line about righteousness now. Here it is. Righteousness is required to roll with God. Repeat that again. Righteousness is required to roll with God. Say it now. It is, because God is righteous, God is holy, God is perfect, and if we want to have any kind of 
relationship or any kind of encounter or experience or anything with God, righteousness is required in us as well. We need to both have the status of righteous and the practice of righteousness. If we want to see God move, like that's the program we got to get onto. And so what I want to do for the next little bit is talk about the path to biblical righteousness. There is a specific path and trajectory that righteousness takes in the Bible. We want to make sure that we're on that path and not getting off that path. So you could hear everything I've said so far and you could say, okay, I want to see God move. I have needs, I have issues, I have whatever. I, I want to see God move. And the pastor said that we need to be righteous in order to, to roll with God. So all I need to do then is figure out what God says and what God wants, and I'll just do those things, and then I'll be righteous. Right? That almost sounds kind of logical. Here's my pastoral encouragement to you on that one. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because... If our righteousness, if, if the path that we try to take to righteousness is based on our behavior or our efforts or our activity, you're going to find out pretty quickly that we lack what it takes to, to get there. We in and of ourselves cannot attain to the measure of righteousness that is required to roll with God. And some people try, some people scratch away at it in vain and spend their whole lives trying to be a good person or do more good than bad or, or go to church or whatever it is. We do not possess within us what it takes to be righteous enough to roll with God. It says in Romans chapter 3 that no one is righteous, not even one. You could look all around, all across the world today, and there's not one person who in and of themselves has this status and, and, and this perfect activity of righteousness. So it's not as simple as I'll just follow the rules. It's not just as simple as I'll follow the instructions and then I'm good and then I'm righteous. That isn't possible now, and that's never been possible if you, if you rewind the clock a couple of thousand years back to Jesus' day, there were people in Jesus' day, religious leaders, who you could make the argument they were some of the best rule keepers in history. You can read about people like the Pharisees. You ever heard of the Pharisees? Or the scribes, for instance. These were religious leaders who prided themselves on the rules. They studied the rules, they meditated on the rules, they, they focused on the rules. It was all about the rules. Their problem was that they had no heart behind the rule following, but that's another thing for another day. But as far as the, the rule following goes, probably there was no one more righteous than them. See my hands now. And you know what Jesus said about that? Well, I'll be happy to tell you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you're not more righteous than the most well-behaved righteous people in the world, you won't get into heaven. You won't roll with God. And in fact, even their righteousness isn't enough. So this is not the path to righteousness. We need total righteousness, and it's not based on us just following the rules. So you might say, okay, well, now that I'm nice and discouraged, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, aren't I supposed to just, like, try to do good things? Like, what are you telling me here, Pastor? Well, 
Here's the deal. Here's the path that our righteousness takes. Ultimately, there is not one among us who is righteous enough. There's not one in the whole world that's righteous enough. But there is one person in the history of the world who has lived this life of righteousness fully, perfectly, completely, and has attained the level of righteousness required to roll with God. And his name is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that, please. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus came to the earth fully God and fully man. And when Jesus lived his life on earth, he was completely righteous. He never sinned once. He was never rebellious once. He never went offside with the Father once. He was totally righteous in the way that he lived. Now you might be thinking, why, like, that's great for him. Why should I care about that? Oh, you should care about that very much. <laughs> because it's very important. You see, the wages of sin is death. You've heard that before. That's from Romans. Uh, the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned, so therefore we've all subjected ourselves to death. That is the trajectory that we're on because of our unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death, and in order to make payment for sin, sacrifice must be made. It says there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, without death. And again, we're destined for death on our own. But Jesus came and he lived that sinless, perfect life and then he died on a cross to sacrifice himself to pay for our unrighteousness and our sin. That's what he did. And this sacrifice of Jesus had effect and it was sufficient and it was satisfactory only because he was righteous. If Jesus was some other sinner like you and I, wouldn't have meant anything. But the righteous one died for the unrighteous ones. That's what's going on. It actually says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Jesus became sin so that, listen to this, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin who knew no sin that we could become righteousness. So there's a pathway in there. The way that we can become righteous is only through what Jesus has done. And it, it almost doesn't even make sense when you first think about it. It's like, well, that was his life and he lived it. What does that have to do with me? He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's the only path. And here's how this works. When we trust in Jesus Christ, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we accept that he died on the cross to pay for our sins, when we believe that he rose from the dead in victory and secured our hope, when we come to Jesus... A transaction happens. His righteousness, because he lived righteously, his righteousness is gifted, credited to us. That's cool, right? It's gifted to us. Here's a few scriptures from Romans. Romans 3.21 says, The righteousness of God has been manifested. Remember, we've got to be righteous to roll with God. The righteousness of God has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It says that we were justified, that, that's another word for made righteous, by his grace as a gift. Romans 4.24 says that this righteousness will be counted to us who believe in Jesus. Romans 4.16 says that this all depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. In other words, you didn't do anything to deserve your righteousness, 
wasn't about any deed that you did or any thought that you thought or any, any good that you've done. It's all based on faith in Jesus, the righteous one. And when we, again, when we believe in him and trust in him and accept him as Lord and Savior, his righteousness comes to us. It comes to us as a gift. Though we are utterly unrighteous in and of ourselves, his righteousness covers over us through faith. And the really cool thing about that is when the Father looks at us, even though by all rights, again, like he knows our heart, he knows our sin, he knows it all, even though we are unrighteous in and of ourselves as Christians, God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering over us. Is that good news to anybody today? Yes. So let me just make this very clear, just very clear to you today. If you believe in and belong to Jesus Christ, your status before God is righteous. Your, your background, your this, your that, it does not matter. If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are righteous, period. Not question mark. Let's try exclamation mark. You are righteous if you are a Christian. That is the status that you have been given as a gift from God. That's good news. Now, if you're hearing this and you're not a Christian, you've never believed in Jesus, like this is priority number one for you. You need to be made righteous through faith in the righteous one. Your righteousness, your good deeds, it will not amount to anything at the end of the day. It's all about faith in Jesus. Somebody say, it's all about faith in Jesus. So the issue then in all this is not, am I righteous enough to stand before God? It's, have I been saved by Jesus, the righteous one? This is, this is the path to biblical righteousness, the path of biblical righteousness. That's how we receive the status of righteous. There's no other way. There's no other way. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, once we're saved, let's change gears a little bit. Let's put her in third gear here. Once we're saved, then it shifts to us having to prioritize the practice of righteousness. Remember, it's a state and an action. Once we've received the status, then we need to start working on the action. If, if we try to put the action before the status, again, that doesn't amount to anything. You need the status first, and that's where the action comes in. Because here's the thing, even once we're Christians, God's standard hasn't gone away. It's like some people have in their minds this idea that, oh, all I got to do is like pray the sinner's prayer and come to Jesus and then I can just do whatever I want. It's a get out of jail free card. That sounds good. That's not how it works at all. That's not how it works at all. Once we're saved, we then get set on a trajectory of pursuing a life of righteousness, of, of, of behaving and acting in a righteous way. That's an important part of our faith. And, and again, just to make it very simple, when we're talking about the practice of righteousness, all we're talking about is living in a way that is pleasing to God, living in a way that is in line with how God wants us to live. When God speaks and he says, here's what I want you to do, that's what we value and cherish and go after. When God says, here's what I want you to leave behind, that's what we do. When God says, here's, here's how I want you to start thinking, that's, that's what we set our minds to. When God says, here's what I want you to be all about, that's what, we set our, that's what we set our hands to and our hearts to. That's what the practice of righteousness is. It's, it's living the way that God wants us to live. And luckily, we've been given the Holy Spirit as Christians to help us do that. So, if you hear all of this, 
Oh, I should actually tell you as well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says this, God's will for you is your sanctification. Sanctification is another, word, uh, another way of saying you're growing in righteousness. You're growing to be more like Jesus. That is what God wants for you. If you're a Christian, that is the trajectory that your life is on. Practicing, prioritizing the practice of righteousness. And now, I'll, I'll say this. If you hear that and you hear all this about practicing righteousness as a Christian and you kind of bristle at it a bit, you might say, yeah, okay, like I'm good with the faith in Jesus part and the status of righteous, but like this all sounds too churchy for me. Like you're telling me I've got to like, like live righteously and do what God wants me to do. Like I have a life, Braden. I have a life. I have things I like to do. And isn't God this God of grace? He'll just forgive me anyway. Like I don't want to be some weird religious washed up kind of Ned Flandersy person. I don't think I want to practice the, pr the pursuit of righteousness. Listen to me, listen to me. Living righteously is actually the way to get the very most out of life. We've said this all year long and I will say it again. God has a life for you. Say that. God has a life for us and that life is marked by being close to him and walking in relationship with him and letting all of life flow from that center of, of being grounded in relationship with him. And part of our relationship with him is living in a way that he wants us to live. It's very simple. And so if you really want to live, if you really want to get the most out of this life that God has for you, and it's not a life that nothing bad happens to you, but it's a life of gusto and, and meaning and purpose. It's a good life. If you want to get the most out of that life, you prioritize the practice of righteousness. It doesn't detract from your life. It adds to it. Now, how many of you think that you could get this right all the time? That's not my hand going up, by the way. Obviously, we won't. We are still, I mean, lifelong. We're still combating against our sinful nature, right? Like we still do things. We've probably done it today. We still do things to sin and, and stumble and slip up as Christians. Like that's no secret. This is why the grace of God is so important. And, and the grace of God, like I said, it's not just some get out of jail free, like, oh, that's, that's license for me to do whatever I want. No, but the grace of God is so, so important to our lives. The grace of God, like our lives as Christians are really just ought to be a rhythm of God's grace in our lives. We're walking with Jesus, we stumble, but he has grace for us. It's this song and dance, it's this back and forth, it's this ongoing need for his grace. How many of you need God's grace in your life? That should be every hand right there. God's grace is like we are saved by the grace of God through faith. We are sa uh, grace covers over us when we sin as Christians. Grace also empowers us to stop sinning as Christians. It says in Romans 2, 4 that God's kindness, God's grace is what leads us to repentance. In other words, it's not just, God, I need your grace when I fall down into the pit and you can help me up. Yep, it's that. But God's grace also helps us to not fall into the pit over and over and over again. We need God's grace. And it's a process, okay? It's a lifelong process. I'm here to tell you, none of us will be perfect on this side of heaven. None of us will ever reach a state where we're just, oh, sin has been completely eradicated from my life. 
Now what am I supposed to do? No, it's a whole life. It's a process. So I don't want you to despair today about, oh my word, I need to be practicing righteousness and look at all this stuff in my life. Oh my word, I'm so far off. Oh my goodness, like I must be this terrible Christian. I don't want you to think like that. Listen to me. We have the status of righteousness. We just need to focus now on living out of that status, living for, through the grace that God has given us. And, and instead of focusing on all the things that I'm still doing wrong, listen, focus on Jesus. Set your eyes on him. Take a step with him. Walk with him and let him have, uh, give you grace and let him work on you and change you. That is the rhythm of grace that our lives are supposed to take. Does that sound a little bit easier than you just need to try really hard and be perfect? Exactly. So, all right, let me just sum up so far. We've talked about what righteousness is. We've talked about that we need righteousness to roll with God. We've talked about how we get the status of righteousness. And now we've talked about how we need to prioritize the practice of righteousness in our lives. The question is not, do I sin anymore as a Christian? The question is, am I walking with Jesus and depending on his grace every step of the way and allowing him to work on me and change me? That's the issue. And in all of this, okay, we're talking about the move of God. I didn't forget. Some of you might have thought I forgot. I did not. We want to position ourselves to see God move. And what does righteousness have to do with that? Well, I'm going to tell you what righteousness has to do with that. The first thing I want to do is tell you that unrighteousness can block the move of God. Unrighteousness, when we fail to set our minds on this pursuit of righteousness, pursuit of living in the way that God has for us, that can, that can lead to blocking the move of God. You look at the scriptures on the screen right here. Psalm 5.4, it says that God is not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with him. That's another way of saying, look, God, God never abandons us or forsakes us or leaves us as orphans as Christians, but you can see the language there. If we're just like caught up in sin and wickedness and evil and we're just not really caring, we're just going for it, like God's gonna distance himself from that. That, that certainly is not saying the way to a close relationship with God is just carry on in sin with you know, not really any desire to stop and God will get really close to you in that way. That's not what that says. And Isaiah 59, two says, your iniquities, that's another word for unrighteousness, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the principle of draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. This is kind of the opposite language. Again, God is never gonna, gonna, cut us off and he's never gonna watch my hands unsave us or something like that. He's, he's our heavenly father, it's all good. But, but this is language here of he's gonna pull back. He is, that relationship is gonna be affected uh, because of us, because of our sin. So the big question in all this, it's not do you sin anymore? The question is this, what's your attitude about sin? What's your attitude about sin? I have an analogy that I wanna share with you. How many of you like to garden, you like to work in the garden. A striking few of you, a few of you, for the record, I'm not judging. I was judging you a few weeks ago and I found out that like 95% of you like black licorice. That was weird, that was weird. I'm still not over it, pray for me. 
I'm not judging you about the garden thing. I don't really do the garden thing either. Not really my spiritual gift. Um, but those of you who do, that's great, good for you. Uh, that's awesome. And, though, and us non-gardening types will still get this, okay? So don't, don't drop off now. In, when you're growing a garden, true or false, weeds have a way of popping up in the garden. That's true. You're like, I didn't plant these weeds. I don't know where they came from. They, they blew in or they grew in, but there's the weeds. They're in the garden. That just happens. Matter of fact, Lori and I were pulling weeds out of our driveway of all things yesterday. That was as glamorous as it sounds, uh, but I digress. Okay, so answer me this, true or false. When weeds appear in your garden, true or false, your garden is shot and it's done for and it's over. That's false, exactly. The issue is not, do you have weeds that grow in your garden? The issue is, how do you deal with the weeds that grow in your garden? Some people, again, I'm not judging, observing, pastorally observing. Sometimes you're driving along and you see someone's garden over here in their yard or whatever, and it mostly just looks like a patch of weeds. Like, you can kind of tell that they did not really do much when the weeds... Uh, went in there and they've let the weeds grow and, and they've kind of sat there and just watched them take over the garden. Uh, people do that. And you know what? That chokes out the potential of the rest of the garden. You might have been growing beans and peas and carrots and cucumbers and whatever else, but when the weeds grow up and, and they're just left unchecked, they take over. They choke out the potential and the life of the rest of the garden. Some people take the opposite approach. The weeds pop up in their garden inevitably and they set their hands to getting rid of the weeds. And those of you who have done that know it's not that fun. You got to get out the knee pads and your little shovel and you're digging them out. You're pulling them out. Maybe they're really bad and you got to like till up the soil. Maybe you've gone to home hardware and you got the spray like the, you know, you shoot the herbicide at it, whatever it is. Some people respond and they roll up their sleeves and they deal with the weeds. And that's a process that goes on all summer. The weeds never really seem to go away. Sin is kind of like that in the life of a believer. The issue again is not do we sin? Of course we do. Of course we do. The question is how do we deal with it? What's our response to the sin? Are we like the gardener that makes no response? And when the sin crops up in our lives, we shrug our shoulders and we say, oh, well, maybe we don't even really think to notice. Maybe we don't care, whatever it is. And, and sin just remains in our hearts, in our lives, in our actions, and we don't do anything about it. Sometimes as Christians, like I've done that, by the way. Sometimes as Christians, that's the, the posture we take towards sin. And sometimes we could make the opposite approach. Again, we're not perfect, but... Oh man, we see sin come up in our lives and we get on our knees to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And God has grace for us. And we do things in our lives to, to stop sinning or to move past that or to grow in that area or to get closer to God. Or maybe you've got maybe you've got to like bring a brother or sister in uh, for accountability and all that. Whatever it is, we, we put in the effort to move past it. Don't answer this out loud, but which one of those, where are you on that? God is going to bless this response when we take our sin seriously and when we seek him in it and really lean hard into his grace and put in the effort. How many of you know being a Christian takes effort? 
God, God will meet us in that. That's, we can draw near to God. Like even when we sin, we can draw near to God in, in that area. Listen to me, God's not gonna bless this response though. We sin, we do nothing, we don't care, we leave it, we don't pay any attention to it, it just grows and grows. Like that is not the way to position yourself to see God move in your life, I'm just telling you. I'm not saying, you're, again, you're not cut off, you've not lost your salvation or something. No, 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 no. But you can see the language right here, even in these verses. Like, like God is gonna distance, God is gonna pull back, the relationship is gonna be affected. Don't expect, here's what I'm saying in all this, don't expect God to leap off his chair and rush to your aid if we're content with our sin. I'm not saying he won't, I'm just saying don't expect him to like really go way out of his way. If we're content with our sin, a lot of times God is content to not move. And so, so that, that thing that you need, that miracle that you're hoping for, that provision that, that you're waiting for, that that healing that you need, that relationship in your life that's broken and needs restoring. Like, we need to see God move. And it's not through being lackadaisical and indifferent about our sin. So let that not be us. Again, I've been there. That is not the pathway to blessing. Let that not be us. Let us not be the people who just shrug off our sin. How about this? Let us be the people that take our sin seriously and lean hard into the grace of God and run after and pursue him even in our sin and let him change us and let him work on us and then let's see what he does in our lives. Let's be that people, amen? So we don't wanna block the move of God by our unrighteousness. Now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna flip the script around. And we're gonna start our slow descent in today, all right? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them, this is the good part. Tell them, tell them now, go ahead. This is the good part. We've talked about how we need righteousness. We've talked about how our unrighteousness can block the move of God. Here's what we're gonna start to wind down with. God loves to move for righteous people. God loves to move for righteous people. Notice I did not just say God loves to move for perfect people because that would be none of us. But, but, but righteous people, people that lean hard into the grace of God day by day by day, moment by moment, who trust in his grace, who trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, who seek after a relationship with him. Like there are things that God will do in the life of a righteous person that he will not do for anybody else. And scripture backs that up. And I actually wanna share six ways that God might move for a righteous person. God can do anything. God could move in any number of ways. We're not putting the lid on him, but I wanna point to six different occasions in which God might move for a righteous person. Again, this is the good part. I'm excited to share this with you today. Number one, God might move uh, in the way of protection. Somebody say protection. We need protection. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you think you are, how strong you think you are, how independent you think you are, we still all need protection from time to time. Because there are things that go on that are bigger than us. There are things that go on that are outside of our control. And there are things that go on all around us, all the time, some of which are seeking to do you harm and to bring you down. 
because Satan is against us. And if he, can, if he can get at you, he will. And so we need protection. Now, it could manifest itself in protection for yourself, just you in your life, protection there. Look at this. Psalm 37, 39 says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the day of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. That's a good word. Psalm 18, 6 and, and verse 20 in that chapter says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And look what he does in verse 20. It says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me again that's not saying I'm a perfect person and God has to show up and do something but that's saying that for the person who pursues a life of righteousness God shows up in a special way to give them protection in the time of need is that good that's great all right it might also manifest itself in protection for your family your family. If you were to read Genesis chapter 7, in Genesis chapter 7, here's what's going on. God has decided he's going to wipe out the human race. And it's because humanity had become so wicked and so deplorable and so far off the map of what our intended purpose was supposed to be. God said, I need to redo. I need to reset. He's going to flood the earth. He's going to wipe humanity out. But he decides he's going to spare one man whose name was Noah. Noah's Ark. And it says this in Genesis 7-1. When God's about to do this, he gets Noah to build the ark, all that, he says to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So Noah got spared from that calamity and that disaster. He was protected from it because he was righteous. But that, that, that blessing, that protection, didn't just rest on him. It got extended onto his family. And notice in there, does it say anything in that verse at all about the, the righteousness of Noah's family? No. Noah was righteous, and God extended the protection onto his household. Super important. And, and that's all through the scriptures too. If you read the scriptures, it talks about how God, God will bless and protect and do this and that for the righteous person. And it's generational onto their children and their children's children. It even says even to the thousandth generation. That is what God does. He protects families. And listen, I don't mean this wrong, but families are tanking all over the place. Families are under attack. Families are not doing super well in a lot of cases. And there's a lot of reasons as to why that is. I'm not a sociologist or a this or that. I'm not trying to simplify it. But I'm saying that this could be part of the reason. That those in positions of leadership in the family may not be pursuing the practice of righteousness. And I want to single out, listen to me now, hear my heart in this. I want to single out the men in the house today. Men, this pertains especially to us. If you are a man of God and you're in any kind of a family context, like whatever that looks like, you have a special responsibility. Men, like don't get me wrong, men and women created equal in the sight of God, same value in the sight of God, absolutely. But listen to me, men have a special responsibility for the welfare and the well-being of their family. And that doesn't mean you're gonna do it perfectly, men, 
But God is going to look to us first. When, 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 he's, when he comes to see how our families are doing, like that's the door he's going to knock on first is ours. And so, men, we got to take this seriously. Like for the sake of not only yourself and your own life, but for your family as well, we need to prioritize the practice of righteousness. We need to value and cherish this path of righteousness. We need to desire to see that in our lives. Men of God, it's time to rise up. It's time to, it's time to take hold of the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us and to rise up and lead our families. Men in the house, let's go. Let's go, all right? Okay, now this protection might also uh, manifest itself as protection for a whole church as well. That's how God might move. He might move in a whole church. In Revelation chapter three, Jesus is talking to the church at Philadelphia. And he says to this church, he says, because you have kept my word, in other words, they've been righteous, they've been faithful in what he said about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. So there's a whole church. Again, they're not perfect, but they're pursuing the life that God has for them. They're valuing the ways of God. They're seeking after and taking seriously this life of righteousness together. And God is going to bless all of them as a body together because of their righteousness. And he's gonna save them from a certain trouble that was gonna befall uh, over there. Now, listen to me. This is relevant in our day too. True or false, Satan is against the church. It's true. True or false, the world and the culture are increasingly becoming against the church. True, absolutely. Like we need protection as the church. And I don't mean we need protection so that we can like cower in fear in the fetal position. I'm saying we need protection from God so that we can boldly rise up and go out into the world with the gospel and have an impact on the kingdom. That's what the protection is for. That was an amen moment. Come on now. (laughs) Anyway, as we pursue righteousness together as a church, like that is the pathway to that protection. We need to value this together. God can cover us, the harbor, in 2021, in this season, with protection. If we would push in and press in to seek this practice of righteousness. Point is this, in all of that, when righteous people need protection, God delights in giving it. Is that good news today? You want protection in your life today? Righteousness is key to that. Number two, God might move in the way of bringing peace. Somebody say peace. Peace. (laughs) We've talked about peace before. It's more than just the absence of conflict. There happens to not be a war going on. It's also the presence of blessing. It's the presence of rest. It's the presence of calm. And that doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us, but there's a peace, there's that, there's that peace that comes from God. And look what it says in, in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That word satisfied really got me, by the way. That's why I put this one in here. There are some people that never, ever, ever, ever seem like they're satisfied. 
even Christians too, no matter what goes on, they never seem to have enough. They never seem to be content. They never seem to be fulfilled. They're always just searching and scratching away. They never find this rest, this peace from God. Listen to me. That may be correlated to this practice and pursuit of righteousness. Because Jesus says right here, that's a promise right there. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you set your mind and your heart and your hands to this life of pursuing righteousness, you will be blessed. You will be satisfied. You will be at peace. Do you want peace in your life today? We gotta prioritize the pursuit of righteousness. Number three, God might move for a righteous person by means of provision. Somebody say provision. That's God will provide stuff. Matthew 6.33 is a great verse right here. And it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? What's that talking about? That's talking about our daily needs, our daily provisions like food and shelter and water and clothing and all this stuff. God will provide that when we seek his righteousness. When we seek to live in that way. That does not say, by the way, if you pursue righteousness, God will make you rich. I haven't found that to be true yet. But it says, if you would set your mind and seek this life of righteousness, I'll make sure you're taken care of. That's the word of the Lord right there. Do you want God to provide in your life? We gotta pursue the practice of righteousness. Number four, God might move by way of presence. Somebody say presence. That's not like present, like a gift, like presence right here with a C. Psalm 15:1 says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, God, who is the person that can get really close to you, who can get right up into where you're at, who can experience your presence moving and working and flowing in their life? Who is that person? It says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. That's saying that as we pursue this life of righteousness, our relationship with God is gonna be affected. We can get closer to God. We can experience the amazing, incredible presence of God. There's nothing like the presence of God. And we can tap more and more into that as we pursue righteousness. Do you wanna get closer to God in your life? You want your relationship with God to grow deeper? Yes, we need to pursue righteousness. Number five, God may move for a righteous person through prayer. Say prayer now. 1 Peter 3.12 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. So God, of course, sees everybody. He knows all things, but a special attention is given to the one who is righteous, who lives righteously. And it says in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Is that because the righteous person is so awesome and their prayers are so awesome? Not really, but it's because God sees the righteousness and God decides to move because of it. So I'll just say this, like do you want, do you want to see God moving with increasing power and impact through your prayer life? I certainly do. We got to prioritize this, this righteousness because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Again, not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome. Now, number six, last one here. 
God loves to move for righteous people and he might move through bringing power. Last time, say power now. Power. We talked about protection earlier, about how God might kind of come in and do a work sort of on the defensive and protect us from something. God might also give us power to, to go on the offensive power to, to, to be strengthened, to, to go for something or get through something. Psalm 55, 22, great verse. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That is a promise of God and that is one that I, and I want us to hold on to that one. A righteous person, God will sustain that person. God will provide staying power in the life of a righteous person. So you might be in a difficult place. Maybe you're there today, but God will provide power. Listen, he is saying you will get through. He will give you the power to get through. And it says the righteous person will never be moved. I love that language. That storm might be raging all around you. You might be right in the center of it today. It might be beating down on you and, and it seems like it's gonna rip you apart. Listen to me. It will not bring you to ruin as a righteous person because God will never permit the righteous to be moved. God will never permit the righteous to be shaken. Do you wanna have that power in your life, that power to endure, that power to move forward in your life? Do you wanna see that in your life? Yes. Righteousness. Righteousness is the ticket. And in all this, let's, let's wrap up here. The principle is clear in all of this. Whatever the need is, whatever the circumstance is, whatever's going on, God has a special heart to move for a righteous person. And we need to see God move. We should long to see God move. And if you want to see God move, if you want to position yourself to see God move in your life, in your circumstance, in your family, in your marriage, in your career, in your church, righteousness is a principle that we got to stick to. We got to get onto the program of righteousness. So again, I will ask, just for, for not answering out loud, what is your attitude toward righteousness? What is your attitude towards sin? First and foremost, have you been saved by Jesus Christ, the righteous one? Have you received the status of righteous through him? And if so, are you prioritizing and valuing and cherishing the practice of righteousness in your life? Leaning hard into the grace of God all the way through. If we don't take this very seriously, listen, God is likely to not take us very seriously either. And there are things that all of us can do. What do you need to do in your life to get onto this program of righteousness, to, to maybe move past a certain sin in your life, or maybe to press in with greater diligence in, in, in a certain area of your life? What steps need to be taken for you? Because listen, we need to see God move. And we want to position ourselves to see him do it. Amen.